pray for Pastor Brian. I did receive a text last night at 4, 5.45. That was a good thing I got it because uh, I was off doing some other things. And Cheryl said, uh, got my phone of yours. And uh, I don't know. So anyway, he, you know he's sick when he misses a Sunday. <laughs> like Jill said, that's first time in 11 years. And I texted him back and I said, uh, okay, I'll start praying. And and 9 o'clock, I texted him, said, well, I'm good. I'm good either way. Because he didn't know if he was going to be here this morning. And he didn't even answer me at all. So you know that he, he is sick. So let's just, let's just go to prayer before we start this, the word this morning. Father, we just thank you for this day, Lord. We just thank you that you are our God and that you care for us, each one of us, Lord. That you want to be a part of our lives, Lord. That you want to show yourself to each one of us, Lord. You want to show yourself to our neighbors, Lord, to our friends, those that we work with, Father, that you do not want to be a hidden God or a God that is uncaring or, or far away, but you want to be a God that wants to have a part in our lives, Lord. We thank you for that, Lord. And Father, for every opportunity that we have, Lord, we want to walk with you. We want to see what you do. We want to be able to do what we see you do, Father, so that we know how to not be powerless and helpless, Lord, but to be emboldened and empowered by your Holy Spirit, Father. And so today, Lord, as we just look into your word, Father, as we begin, we humble our hearts, Lord. For although you seek a relationship with us like a, like a papa, like a father, you are almighty God, Lord, and we know that and we respect that, Father. And, Lord, we love you. We want to walk with you, Lord. We want to be carried along by you, Lord, when we need to be. And so, Father, today we just ask you to be with Pastor Brian, that, Lord, that you would touch his body, Lord, that you be with all the others that are sick, Lord, that, Father, you would touch them, Lord, that, Father, that they would be healed in Jesus' name. And for this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So... The title of the message this morning is, is that we are more than we have become. We are more than we have become. And you know, I just want to not remember to start our Sundays the way we start every Sunday, in that we are more than we have become. Why? Because we have the Word of God, and we have Christ in our hearts. So, hold up your Bibles. This book is my all-sufficient guide for faith and conduct. Amen. And, you know, those are more than just words that we say. Those, that is the truth, and it goes into our hearts. So, we are more than we have become. On October 29, 1949, in Great Britain, Prime Minister Winston Churchill visited the Harrow School for Boys to speak to the students. Harrow School for Boys was a, a school that he had attended as a young man. It was an old school. It was originally started in about 1250 A.D. It was chartered by uh, England in 1572. Where it was where England's young men went to be trained and educated. It was a full boarding school, so they stayed there you know, all week. And it was like a, you know, like I say, a full boarding school, so they didn't go home during the day. Uh, his speech was been one of the most quoted speeches <clears throat> ever. Everybody was waiting for his oratory, and he rose up and walked to the podium. The students all became quiet, and he took his commanding presence there like only Winston Churchill could do. 
And he said, never, ever, 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 ever give in. Never give in. Never give in. And then he sat down. Short speech. Now that's the, that's the legend, and that's a little bit of a myth, because he actually had more to say. But that is what everybody took away from that. You know, he was known as the bulldog of Britain. We all know during his time during the war, and what he, how he uh, almost single-handedly uh, moved Britain forward. He actually said a little more, and he fleshed it out, I think, later as he went on, because that became a famous speech for him to give over and over again. He said, never give in. Never give in. Never, never, never. In anything, great or small, large or petty, never give in, except to the conviction of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. Now, we all know that Churchill was, was strong, and, and he was known for saying that. Never give in, never give up. And uh, you might say, well, Steve, you don't know what I'm going through. Well, if you look at history and see what Winston Churchill went through with Britain being, Britain being bombed uh, almost 24-7, day after day, and uh, the problems that he had, it almost Britain single-handedly stood alone from Europe falling in the, in the 30s and 40s. He would say, he would say, you know, I do, you don't know what I'm going through. I'm going through hell. And he would say, well, if you're going through hell, keep on going. Don't stop there. He said that, another famous speech he was famous for, he said, we will defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills, and we shall never surrender. And he was a strong orator, and, and only he could deliver those words with that British accent like he, like he did. But, you know, if, if you look into history, you, you see a little more of, of uh, Winston Churchill. He wasn't, if you were to look at him early on, you probably wouldn't give him much of a chance of turning to be out to be the great man that he was. Sir Winston Leonard Spencer Churchill was known for his domineering presence, his sharp wit, his uncompromising resilience in the face of adversity, and when lesser men would falter, he kept going. He was often a difficult man with his razor-sharp tongue and would frequently get into trouble, particularly among political rivals and the opposite sex. And we could go into a lot of quotes that he, that he said. Known as the um, British Bulldog, the symbol of all things British, it is, in fact, a little unknown secret that he was half American. And his American roots went pretty deep. He, he, was, uh, he had a paternal grandmother that was uh, a relative of George Washington. His family was linked to uh, the Bush family. And um, further cementing his American ties, Churchill was the first individual 
to be acknowledged as an honorary citizen of the United States. He was a prisoner of war in 1899. He was a prisoner in a war camp in uh, the Boer War in South Africa. What he escaped and had a price on his head, 25 pounds. And he was in the woods for a while, or jungle in that case, uh, avoiding capture. Winnie, as they called him, was a gifted writer, a novelist, and historian. In his lifetime, he published volume upon volume of the works on history of England and Europe, including a history of the English-speaking people and a six-part epic collection, The Second World War, something that he knew very well. And for this, he actually won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1953 for his historical and biographical presentations and, and um, scintillating oratory in which he stood forth as a defender of human values. He was, he was actually too, only the, the only prime minister to ever receive the Nobel Prize, Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, he was named magazine, Time Magazine's Man of the Year in 1940. And again in 1949, and this time in 1949, he was named more than Man of the Year. He was named Man of the Half Century. Churchill was a statesman, but yet as a schoolboy, he did not shine academically. He would often find himself in the bottom half of the class. His rebellious streak ending in numerous beatings. That was something that they could do then. I don't know if we could do that anymore. <laughs> Discipline was strict in those days, and you'd get your hands slapped. I, when I was in school, we got our hands slapped, we got our ears pulled, we got our hair pulled, and we, we got paddled also. We didn't get beat, but we got paddled. Huh. Few, he was all, he, um, few would have predicted his successful career in politics, realizing that university was not an option his father, seeing this, decided to enroll him in uh, Sandhurst Military Academy. It would, however, take three attempts before Winston passed the entrance examination. So you see early on, never, never, never give in. Never give up. That was born and bred into him. That was a part of his being. This was the man, this great orator, this great leader, that we had a bust of Winston Churchill in our White House that was given to us as a gift of our friendship with Great Britain. This gift was returned as soon as President Obama went into the White House. And they said, no, it's a gift to you, keep it. And he said, no, I can't find any place to put it. Take it back. <sighs> to do this, to spite such a great man is incredible to me and shows, I'm just going to say, the caliber of our leader, present leadership. So anyway, we have this example of Winston Churchill. We have this example to look to. And we have many examples in the Bible to look to. The Bible is full of great men and women who never gave in, who never gave up, who carried on the word of God and what God called them to do. Now, as believers, we too must learn to never give up, to never give in. However, as Ephesians 6.12 says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but 
against rulers, authorities, and powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. That is who we battle against, not flesh and blood. And each of, a, each of us battle these things in our own lives and in those of, the, of us around us. Well, how are we going to finish? How are we going to complete this life that we have here on earth? Are we going to be like Paul that says in 1 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. That, I think, is the hope and dream for all of us, that we will be able to say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Now, in order for us to do that, I want to challenge you in that each of us are more capable than we know. We are more than we have become. Now, we walk in this faith and we walk in this life and we believe in the word and we have Christ in our hearts. But are we being challenged? Are we being motivated? Are we listening to him and never, ever giving up? Or are we compromising in any way? You know, giving up seems uh, so easy sometimes. It seems the easy route to take rather than to persevere and to dig in and go for broke, go for win or lose. We tend to, tend to go to the sidelines and set. Each of us get up in the morning, take a look in the mirror, and start the day. As we go about our day, what do we listen to? Do we listen to self-talk, to our flesh, to the devil that seems to be constantly on our shoulder, reminding us of our past? You weak person, you sinner, how can you do anything for God? How can you let alone do anything for yourself and your family? You make so many mistakes. You do everything wrong. If you can screw it up, you screw it up. And we say, you know, I'm just going to try to get through the day and, and get home and uh, go to bed <laughs> and, and just call it good because I just there's nothing I can do that's right. Do old memories, old failures come in and haunt us and continually be part of our conversation in our head every day? Or do we try to step out and say, well, you know, I could do better, but do we make excuses? I could do better, but this job I have is just, is just really not a good job. This, this, this wife that I have, this husband that I have, this, this relationship that I'm in, it's just it's just not working out, you know. It just holds me back and holds me down. You know, I could do better, but there's just no opportunities. There's no opportunities out there. Or, you know, I, I could do better, but I don't have a college degree. You know, I just, I just barely made it through high school. I, I don't have a college degree. If you don't have a college degree, what can you do? You can't do anything. So I just can't, I can't do anything. I'm just going to try to just do my little job and, and make it home and call it good. Well, you know, I want to remind you that Steve Jobs and uh, Bill Gates, two of the most successful, wealthiest men in the world, never finished college. In fact, they both dropped out because they thought they had better things to do, and they did. <laughs> For those of us that have been to college, I didn't finish either. And uh, after about three years, I said, you know what? There's better things I can do, and I did. 
So anyway, that's no, nothing about a college degree or not a college degree. That's just, a, that's just for what I was with me. I was, I was, after three years, I was done with the academic life, and I was ready to hit the woods again and, and get to working. Proverbs 23.7 says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. So what thoughts do we ponder on each and every day? Do we think about these, these thoughts of uh, ridicule and, and uh, degrading ourselves? You know, we seem, to, we seem to believe those pretty quickly. Or do we look to see what God says to us, what he tells us? Instead of starting the day and hearing that self-talk, how about we hear God say, Oh, child of mine, you are greatly blessed. I will pour out my spirit upon you and lead you and guide you in all truth. Whatever you do shall prosper. If you draw unto me, I will draw unto you. If you seek me, you shall find me. I will open doors for you. I will make your path straight. My strength will be poured into you, and you will walk in victory. Call on me, and I will answer you and tell you great and hidden things that you do not know. Do we say, uh, wow, Lord, I need, a, I need a confirmation on that. You know, I'm, I'm not sure that was, that, was that meant for me? I, I need that confirmed. But yet when we have the other things, when people tell us that, when they ridicule us and tell us that we can't do good or our self-talk tells us that we can't do good, we easily believe that. But when God tells us that we are blessed and that he will bless us and his power will be poured into us, we need a confirmation. But I say we need to know because it's in his word that he says these things. And we have many examples in his word of those that have stepped out and believed that they can do what he tells them to do. You see, we face this choice each and every day. What do we focus on? Do we focus on the stuff, the old stuff, the flesh, the failures, the disappointments, everything that makes us a failure, the self-talk, the stinking thinking, as, as I think we've all heard? Or do we focus on the new man, the man that is born again, born from above, of water and of the Spirit? That is what we need to focus on. But know this, that we do have an enemy of the soul whose only purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy. What did Jesus say about him? He said he is a liar and the father of lies. In fact, we didn't have time to put up any PowerPoints, but if you'd like to turn to John 8:44, Excuse me, yeah, John 8, 42, 47. This is what Jesus said of the devil and of those that listened to him. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and now am here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. 
For he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He belongs to He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. So this promise that we have, this choice that we make, we choose. And we need to discipline ourselves to not hear what comes from the father of lies and the murmuring and those about us but to trust and to walk on what comes from the word of God, to focus on it, to read it, to study it, to make it a part of our heart and our lives. Because that is where the power for life is. That is where the success in life comes from. Now, there's true. There can be, there can be those that can succeed in a worldly way, but not in an eternal way. There was recently a testimony that just came to light of um, the conversion of Kirsten Powers. And she's a commentator on Fox News. Blonde-haired gal, probably, I don't know how old, 35 or so. And she became a, a, a Christian. And um, she wrote in this testimony, just seven years ago, if someone had told me I'd be writing for Christianity Today magazine I be, uh, and about how I came to believe God, I would have laughed out loud. If there was one thing which I com- was completely secure in was that I would never allow any religion, especially the evangelical Christianity, to which I had particular contempt for. She grew up in the Episcopalian Church in Alaska. Actually, Fairbanks, Alaska. Fairbanks, Alaska is a university town. And uh, I think we all know what comes out of university towns. It can be liberal thinking. And uh, <clears throat> she said any belief she had was superficial and flimsy. It was borrowed from her archaeological father, who was uh, brilliant in, in his trade. And, um, but as time went on, she began to encounter doubt. And um, when he began to speak to her and have doubts in his belief. She said that any, any thought she even had would begin to doubt even more. A little faith she had uh, couldn't un- withstand this revelation that he had doubts. Early, in her early 20s, she would waver between atheism and agnosticism, never even coming close to considering that God could be real. After college, she went to work in the, in the Clinton administration Everyone she knew was politically left-leaning, and her groups of friends were overwhelmingly atheists. This is what we have in Washington, D.C. This is why Washington, D.C. is the murder capital of the world. This is where our governing body lies. This is why we need to pray so much for Washington, D.C. Why? Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities and authorities of the heavenly realms, the dark forces. So she went on to say that um, uh, she began to um, date a man who was into Jesus. I was not looking for God. In fact, the week before I met him, I told a girlfriend who had asked me if I had any deal breakers in dating. I said, 
just one, nobody that I want to date, I, I don't want anybody, I don't want them to be religious. That was the one deal breaker that she had. You know, I find so often God has a sense of humor. <laughs> and so often, you know, if a, if a woman says, you know, Lord, you know, I'll marry anybody but not a preacher. I don't want to marry a preacher. Where will she end up being? <laughs> and uh, so a few months into the relationship, her boyfriend uh, called her and said that he had been thinking about something important that he wanted to talk to her about. Uh, I remember exactly where I was sitting in my West Village apartment. And he said, do you believe in Jesus as your Savior? My stomach sank. I started to panic. Oh, no. He's crazy. Well, when I answered no, he said, well... Do you think you could ever believe? And he explained that he was at that point in life where he wanted to get married and felt that, uh, that she could be that person, but he couldn't marry a non-Christian. And he didn't want to mislead her and that uh, he didn't want to marry anybody that would never believe in Jesus. So she said, well, that was the magic words for a liberal. Do you think you could keep an open mind about it? Well, of course. I'm very open-minded, even though I wasn't at all. I derided Christians as anti-intellectual bigots who were too weak to face the reality that there was no rhyme or reason to the world. I found this man's church attendance an oddity that I could perhaps overlook, not as a point in his favor. So a few weeks later, they began to attend church. She was clueless about Christianity. She had had a little bit of a Presbyterian um, background with the high church liturgy. And the church that they went to was a modern evangelical church. Um, they had a band and, and drums and guitars, and she was used to the high, litur uh, high church uh, liturgy that uh, the Presbyterian church had, or Episcopalian church, whatever I think was, uh, maybe Episcopalian, Episcopal church. And, um, but she went to church nonetheless. And... Uh, in fact, as time went on, when she heard the pastor speak about the things of the Bible and the things of the Word, he would bring in art and history and philosophy, she decided that she could come back and hear him again. And soon, she was looking forward to Sunday. Sunday kind of became the highlight of her week. She thought, though, that it was just an interesting lecture, not really church, just something to do. I tolerated the rest of what I heard in order to just be there. Each week... Uh, the pastor made a case for Christianity. He also made a case against atheism and agnosticism. He expertly focused on the intellectual weaknesses of a pure secular world. She began to realize that Christianity, that even if Christianity wasn't the real thing, well, then neither was atheism. So at least now she was halfway, and uh, half in the boat and half out. She began to read the Bible. And her boyfriend uh, would pray with her for God to reveal himself to her. After eight months of going to, to church, uh, she concluded that the weight of the evidence was on the side of Christianity. But she didn't feel any great connection to God, and frankly, she was fine with that. I continue to think that people who talked of hearing God or experiencing God were either delusional or lying. In my most generous moments, I allowed that they were just imagining things that made them feel good. Then one night in 2006 on a trip to Taiwan, 
I woke up with that strange feeling, a cross between a dream and reality. Jesus came to me and said, here I am. It felt so real. I don't know what, what to make of it. I called my boyfriend, but before I had time to tell him about it, he told me that he was praying that night before and felt that we were supposed to break up. So we did. Honestly, while I was upset, I was more traumatized by the visitation that I had had from Jesus. I began to write the experience off as a misfying synopsis, something that, but I couldn't shake it. When I returned to New York a few days later, I was lost. I suddenly felt God everywhere, and it was terrifying. More important, it was unwelcome. It felt like an invasion. I started to fear I was going crazy. I didn't know what to do. I spoke with a, with a Christian, with a friend that was a Christian, and he said I needed to um, go to a Bible study and begin to learn more. So I didn't like the sound of that, but I was desperate. My whole world was imploding. How was I going to tell my family or friends about what had happened? Nobody would understand. I didn't understand it. I remember walking into the Bible study. I had a knot in my stomach. In my mind, only weirdos and zealots went to Bible studies. I can't remember what was said that day. All I know is that when I left, everything had changed. I will never forget standing outside that apartment and saying to myself, it is true. It is completely true. The world looked entirely different to me, like a veil had been lifted off. I had not an iota of doubt. I was filled with indescribable joy. The horror of the prospect of becoming a devout Christian crept back in almost immediately. I spent the next few months being doing my best to wrestle away from God. It was pointless. Everywhere I turned, there he was. Slowly, there was less fear and more joy. The hound of heaven had pursued me and caught me, whether I liked it or not. So there is a testimony of a woman of the world, an atheist, an agnostic, in the media, who derided Christianity, who thought it was crazy, wanted nothing to do with it, but had an encounter with Jesus Christ, and her life was changed. Lives are changed one at a time in so many cases. God treats us each as individually. I remember praying for a man in my office. He wanted to know why I always had a smile on my face and why I was so happy. And he said, you go to church, don't you? And I said, yes, I do. And uh, he said, well, can you tell me about that? And I said, sure, I can. So... I told him about Christ, and I told him about what he had done for each of us and the sacrifice that he had made, and, and I asked him if he would like to make that decision. And he said, yes, I would. And I said, well, we can do that here right now. I said, we can pray right now, and you can make that decision right now. And he said he would like to do that. And so I remember he was standing there, and we prayed the sinner's prayer. And when he accepted the Lord into his heart, he just went, wow, whoa. Wow, I've never felt so clean. I have never felt this weight lifted off of me like this. His eyes were opened, and that is how it begins. Our eyes are first opened to the gospel. And then, as we move on from 
the gospel, we move into the relationship with, with God and with Jesus Christ and with the Holy Spirit dwelling within, within us. From there, our understanding deepens. It doesn't end with just salvation. It, that's where it begins. That is the first encounter that we have where our eyes are open. Christine, Pow Christine Powers had that happen to her in a dramatic way when Christ revealed himself to her. You know, that is happening all over the world today. There are Muslims that are questioning <clears throat> their religion. that are caught halfway in the boat and halfway out, that are standing there. They have nowhere to turn because if they, go, if they turn to their family, they're stuck in Islam. And if they turn to Christ, they're abandoned by their family, and they don't know what to do. The, the social pressures are great. And there are Muslims all over this world that are praying, Lord, God, I need to know if you are real. I need to know if you are real. It cannot be intellectual. It cannot just be something that I think. Because I already have Islam that I think. I need to experience you. I need to know beyond any doubt if you are real. He is revealing himself to Islam, to Muslims around the world. And there is testimony after testimony about that. So what do, we, what do we do with this? What do we think on? Well, we think on things above. As Paul says, keep your affections, keep your thoughts, keep your heart on the things that are above where Christ is. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, think on these things. That's Philippians 4.8. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, think on these things. See if I want to pick something else on that. Um, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent, are praiseworthy. Think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. That, my friends, is positive thinking. That is not, not stinking thinking, not thinking about misery, not thinking that everything I do that fails. That is thinking about the things that are pure, the things that are lovely, things that are admirable, things that are excellent, things that are praiseworthy. We have to, just like the sun uh, expels darkness, we have to have those thoughts in our, in our heart, in our head, that expels those other thoughts that will do nothing but lead us down, that is nothing but comes from the father of lies, the, the devil, the, ones, the one that wishes to bring us down to his level, to put us in bondage to him. So in this, what do we focus on? We focus on Christ in our hearts. Christ who dwells within us. Not someone who is distant or way up there or is only there when I go to church or is only there on special occasions. But he lives in our heart and we look with, to within him that is in our heart. He dwells within and we look to him there. Um, 
and above these things, and all these things, we need to be in constant prayer, saying, Lord Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. Not the will of the flesh, not the will of the Spirit, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Does that mean that we can do anything that we set our mind to? Uh, probably, probably not. I'm not going to be a football player. I'm not going to be an astronaut. You know, but I, when Paul wrote this, I can do all things. I can do everything in Christ who strengthens me. When Paul wrote this, he was sitting in a prison cell where Pastor Brian and Jill just visited. If you were sitting in that prison cell after years of being mistreated, beaten, stoned, and found yourself in a prison cell, what would your thoughts be? Would it be, Lord, I'm done. I tried serving you. It didn't work. But Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I like it in the King James. The King James says, through Christ who strengthens me. The NIV says, through him, through him who strengthens me. Who's him? Is Christ. Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, that doesn't mean everything that means I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me that he leads me to do, that he asks me to do, that when I, through my relationship with him and my focus on him, if he asks me to do something, I'm not going to shy away and back down and say, oh, Lord, I can't do that. I can do all things. We're going to step out and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God, if you are asking me to do that, I can do that. That's like Joshua and Caleb when they went in to spy the land out. They were the only two that came back that said, we can do this. We can take that land. The other ten said, oh, boy, there's giants. We are grasshoppers in their eyes. There is no way we can do that. And so the consensus was that they weren't going to do it. They weren't going to take the land. And then later the ten said, we made a mistake. We sinned. We can go in and take that land. And they went in to take the land, and, they were, and, and Moses said, do not go. This is a sin that you go. When God was calling you to take the land, you didn't step forward and say you could. Now that, now that you step forward and say you can, do not go. You will be soundly beaten. And they were. They were soundly beaten. And we all know the story. Israel wandered in the wilderness for another 38 years. It was 11 days from where they were at to the promised land. It was 11 days distance. 38 years they wandered in the wilderness. Why? Because 10 Ten of the leaders stepped back and said, we can't do that. Joshua and Caleb, as we know, were the only ones that entered into the promised land. So, I say to you, who do you want to be? Do you want to be uh, not part of the ten that shied back from what God called them to do? But I know we all want to be Joshua 
and Caleb's that say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do that. I can do that. I will do that. As God leads me, I will do that. I will step up and forward and do that. I volunteer. I can do that. That is the attitude that I think we need to foster and we need to have. Why? Because we have Christ in our hearts. How can we fail? He is asking us to do this. How many of us have kids when we're, we set them up on something and we say, jump? And they don't. They're hesitant. Why? Because they don't have faith and don't have trust. And it takes some training to pretty soon they're jumping. Then we're saying, no, don't jump. <laughs> but uh, we have to walk in that faith. We have to build that relationship, such a relationship that we will stand up and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can be more than I am. I can be more than I have become. I'm just not going to sit in church and maybe, maybe be a CE Christian, go to church on Christmas and Easter. I'm going to go to church every day the doors are open. I'm going to be a part of what the body that God has called me to. Why? Because I can do more than I am. When we focus on these things, when we focus on what Christ calls us to do, then we know that we can do all things through him who strengthens us. When we focus on other things, on worldly things, that doesn't mean we're going to be successful. We can, we can fall flat on our face. There was, uh, there's many examples of Christian businessmen going broke. And uh, I try the best I can before I do anything. I pray and I ask God, Lord, is this your will? Is this your will? This looks like a great opportunity. Is this your will? One of the dreams in my life was to, was to have a big mine, to have an open pit mine, to take a mountaintop and just bring it down to sea level. And we were heavy construction. We moved, we moved rock. We moved dirt. That's what we did. When I went to Bible school, some business associates of mine called me up and said, we have this great opportunity. We have this mine in Alaska that we want to get off the ground, and um, we'd like to have you be a part of it. I think I was probably uh, six months in, uh, at Northwest College, Northwest University now, and I thought about that. I thought, whoa. That's something I've always wanted to do. It was a gypsum mine, zip, gypsum mine up in, uh, out of Haines. I prayed about it, and the Lord said, I called you to go to Bible school. I brought you out of that. And I called them up, and I said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I'm not available for that. I put that off to some other associates that I had. I said, here's an opportunity for you. It just came to me, came across my came across my plate, why don't you take a look at it and see what you can do. They went up and looked at it, got involved in it a little bit. It was a total sham. It fell flat on its face. It was never meant to be. God saved me from running up there to say, oh, yes, I've always wanted to do this. Here's my opportunity. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I would have been soundly defeated, just like the ten that went outside of the word of God and went to try to take the land. So we're going to bring it home here in uh, 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8, where we started. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. What's the Lord the righteous judge 
will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. This, my friends, is the God that we serve. He leads us. He guides us. He directs us. He says, you can do all things through me. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can do all things through the Holy Spirit, the power that is within you. You can do all things. We can be more than we have become. The challenge is, is to make sure we focus on the right things and we're doing the things that Christ calls us to do and not the things that we think are a good idea or something that we want to do. So let's pray for we're going to close here. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning, Lord. Father, that um, we have these promises. We have this power within us. We have your word. We have your Holy Spirit. We have your leading, your guiding. And Father, we want to be a people that correctly apply the word of truth. Lord, in this fellowship, we want to be known, Lord, as people who correctly apply the word of truth, who don't mess around, who don't get caught up in other things, but, Lord, that preach Christ and him crucified. And, Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit that comes upon each one of us to lead and guide us, that we can live a victorious Christian life, that one day we will see you face to face. And we can say, I have run the good ways, good race. And Lord, we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And this, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this day. Lord, as we go about our day, I ask that you would be with each of us, that you would continue to speak to us and to guide us, to lead us in your way, to keep us firmly rooted in the word and on a firm foundation, Lord. As we go out today, I ask your blessing upon all who are here, Lord, that this would be the case. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, thank